0: Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We are so glad that you are listening in today. As God's people, we are concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Please subscribe to always get the next podcast. Robert Louis Stevenson tells of a storm that caught a ship, a vessel, off of a rocky coast, and the storm threatened to drive the boat and its passengers to destruction towards the shore, towards that rocky coastline. In the midst of the fear and terror, one daring passenger, contrary to orders, went to the deck and made a dangerous passage to the pilot house, and saw the steerman at his post holding the wheel unwaveringly, and inch by inch turning the ship out once more to sea. The pilot saw the watcher and smiled. Then the daring passenger went below and gave out a note of cheer. I have seen the face of the pilot, and he smiled. All is well." In much the same way, our text today gives a similar note of comfort. We all know that life is hard, and that it can be painful. And we know that the sin we deal with can feel like a mountain weighing down upon us. The disappointments we face can be heartbreaking, but the text today from Isaiah says, Comfort, comfort my people. The one who has the power to deliver you is on his way, and he can steer your ship through the storm. Yes, you're going to have to face sin, but the one who can deal with it has a plan. So the question we're being asked is, will you choose to see the smile of God, much like the smile of that steerman? Will we trust in his plan? We'll find in the smile of God the good news of Jesus, that God has provided a way for us to be set free from sin and its punishment. God has the strength and the power to deliver us. He is steering the ship. It is up to us to see a smile, to trust his confidence in the face of the storm, to see that he is capable and to put our trust in him. In our text today, you're going to hear some scripture verses that we actually read last week in Luke chapter 3. Last week we saw these verses fulfilled in the ministry of John the Baptist. In Isaiah, we encounter them as a word of hope for those who are at the end of their rope. Both texts are very real about our shortcomings, our precarious state. Both texts are very real about the power of God to save us. So let's hear the word of the Lord in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says our God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, and hear and cry to her that her warfare is ended, and her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins." A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places as a plain. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together from the mouth of the Lord, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of, the, of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain. O Zion, herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God, behold the Lord our God comes with might, his arm rules for him, behold his reward is with him, his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd, he will gather the lambs in his arms, he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Part of the Advent season is the deliberate practice of reflection on the coming of Jesus. And Isaiah deals with the question, what will motivate the people of God to actually trust him and become the servants that they are called to be? How will it be possible for sinful Israel to become God's servants at all? What is to be done about the sin that has alienated them from God? The answer is straightforward. We must see God for who He is. And as we've been reading through Advent, as we've been lighting candles in our regular worship service, the Messiah, who is God, Son of God, He is the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We must know who God is, and when we know who He is, we must trust who He is. Isaiah tells us another ways he says in isaiah forty six nine it says this remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. So we're to know him, and to know that there are none like him? He alone is the one who can who can hold our trust true and make good upon it. Isaiah forty-one ten says this: Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you in my righteous hand. Isaiah is trying to motivate Israel, trying to motivate the people of God, trying to motivate us by reminding us who God is and what He does. I want to give a little reminder about Israel's condition during Isaiah chapter forty. Israel is in exile in Babylon. See, they decided repeatedly throughout their history not to follow God, to not trust him, to not obey him, to reject to reject him as their Lord, their king, to reject their covenant with him. The result is that the rejection of him led to his rejection, God's rejection of them. And so, God sent them into exile in Babylon as punishment for their sins. And so, what we encounter here is not a message about how terrible uh, the people are, but that God loves them and desires to deliver them. We can focus on the sin and we need to face the sin, but the message of Isaiah 40 is that God desires to deliver them that there is hope for Israel, they will be set free. They will be emancipated from the Babylonians. And more importantly, God will emancipate them from their sin. And this is something we all need. We all have sin in our lives and we all have that heavy weight upon us. We need that emancipation. Ah, We now stand just two quick weeks from Christmas In much of the modern world, Christmas has become highly focused on giving and getting gifts. As a kid, I remember putting a ton of energy into figuring out what I would get. It was only as I grew up that I realized the real special part of Christmas gifts were the people giving them. The gift is nice, but the family or friend who gives them is all the better. And God is the ultimate giver, and we must not forget this. We must treasure him. And that is what is happening in Isaiah. Yes, Israel, you're getting your freedom. Yes, we all have the ability to get the forgiveness of our sins. But Isaiah reminds us of the giver, God. And we are reminded that this emancipation is his gift. It is unique, and only he has the power to give it. Augustine of Hippo says this. I love this little quote. And it's a little bit of a tongue twister. How great a God is he who gives God. How great a God is he who gives God. You got to say it with just the right amount of enunciation and inflection. How great a God is he who gives God. And that is what God has done. He's given himself, Jesus, for us. God gives in Jesus comfort for us. And so, I want you to hear that today. God has comfort for you. That's how our text starts, with such lovely words. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Something good is coming. We like comfort. We like to hear about the end of struggle, much-needed relief. We like to hear about security of triumph. These are all ideas found in comfort, but God's comfort is better and more real than any other comfort we can find here on earth. There's something interesting about God's comfort. God's comfort is coming in the midst of God's punishment. That is a little strange. Isaiah 40 can be troubling because the prophet Isaiah speaks comfort in the midst of Israel being punished by God for their sins. Remember, they are in exile in Babylon by the judgment of God. They're being punished can comfort be paired with punishment? One commentator responded to this with a reminder that punishment is a relief. Punishment is supposed to be corrective. It desires growth. Punishment is meant ultimately for good, or at least it should be. Punishment is not destruction. And we often mix the two up. Destruction has no real good intent. When we are being punished, it feels like the worst thing in the world, but it's not. Destruction is worse. Destruction has no desire for a good outcome. Punishment is meant to bring out better in us. So, yes, comfort can be found in punishment because in the midst of punishment, we can see that God really desires something better for us. We also find comfort in the unstoppable Lord. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. Those are the words we hear most often when we read about John the Baptist. Prepare the way for the Lord, is what we hear. And we know them full well in their context of the coming Messiah. Salvation is on its way through Jesus. But the message of these words is simple it is God who is coming to deliver his people. And you need to hear this, and nothing will get in his way. He comes swiftly, and nothing will prevent him. We're familiar with delays and letdowns. We see promises made all the time that are not kept, and it hurts. We know what it is like to get delayed. We know what it is like to struggle. We know what it is like to see things fail. But nothing stops God. With God... When it comes to deliverance, he is swift. No valley or mountain or wrong turn will sway him. It is easy to read about John the Baptist and think about how the way needed to be prepared. And we do need to prepare our hearts to receive Jesus. We talked about that last week. But other than our heart, there is no barrier that can stop God from bringing deliverance, from bringing your deliverance. Nothing can stop him. Will you trust that? Think of verse 6, the grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on, on it. Surely the people are grass. I've always read that verse and kind of read it in a negative way, but it has a double meaning. And this goes along with nothing can stop God. I've always read it about like, oh, well, I'll wither, I'll, I'll fade. We all wither and fade. We're under the judgment of God. And that's true, but there's another way to read it. I mean, yes, it's Israel that's being talked about here. Israel, the people of God, are subject to his judgment. They cannot stand up against him, but remember, they're in exile in Babylon. The Babylonians rule them, but the Babylonians are also people. They can wither and fade by the breath of God. If God desires to deliver Israel, the powerful oppressor's Babylon They can do nothing about it. They cannot stop him. And nothing that you face in this world is stronger than God. No power, no authority, no sickness is stronger than God. Nothing can stop him. He has the power to set you free. And we forget that because we encounter false power all the time. Do not mistake false power for the real power of God. One New Year's Day, in the Tournament of Roses parade, a beautiful float suddenly sputtered and quit. It was out of gas. The whole parade was held up until someone could get a can of gas, gasoline. The amusing thing was, as the float represented the Standard Oil Company. With all its vast oil resources, its truck and the parade ran out of Gas what should have been a powerful uh what should have been powerful and had access to all the power it needed the oil company fell short do not mix up false power with the real power of god do you need the comfort of god perhaps you need to know perhaps you know that you need deliverance from sin but there's a catch you're not sure that god really has the power to deliver you You've encountered too many sputtering parade floats in life. The question is, is, will you trust in the power of God? The prophet Isaiah is asking us to trust in the power of God. Not, uh, No mountain or valley will stop him. His breath can wither any enemy we face. His word will stand forever. And So God brings comfort to his people, and he has comfort for you today. We are called to respond saying, yes, I'll receive that comfort. And we're called to respond by proclaiming. And that's the other part of this passage I want to mention just briefly here. As God's people, we must proclaim the greatness of God. See, the greatness of God, that's something we take for granted so often. The church should know well the need to proclaim the good news of Jesus. We have a calling to proclaim this good news to all the world. I like what Billy Graham says. He says, Preachers are not salesmen, for they have nothing to sell. They are bearers of good news. And maybe you don't call yourself a preacher, but we are all proclaimers, and we are all bearers of good news. We must declare that good news, and that good news does include the greatness of God. Verse 10 just crashes into our times with comfort and with greatness. Behold, the Lord comes in might. We need the strength of God. And it tells us that His arm rules for Him. We live in times that seem to be ruled by popular opinion, and we need to remember that God still rules. It's His arm that's in control. His reward is with Him, His recompense before Him. Recompense. Well, that's a word we don't often hear in our times, but the hunger for recompense is rampant. Recompense means this, to make amends for harm or loss suffered. And all over this world, people want amends. They want amends for racism, amends for rights infringed upon, amends for those who hurt us, who failed us, who broke our hearts or held us back. No amend that we can produce can ever be a true recompense. God comes with real recompense and is ready to give it if we would put our trust in him. And that is some of the good news that we are to proclaim. Isaiah's mighty picture of God paired with the comfort comforting picture it pairs with the comforting picture of the shepherd. We need to remember that too. He's got that arm that rules, he's coming in might, he has recompense, but then he's also a shepherd. And that's part of what we what we proclaim. God tends and gathers and carries and leads us. He's a shepherd with the sheep. And here's the thing about a shepherd with a sheep. It's his presence that matters. His presence is the best comfort. Bob Benson says this, When life caves in, you do not need reasons. You do not need comfort. You do not need some answers. You need someone. Jesus does not come to us with an explanation. He comes to us with his presence. And that's what's offered to us today. The comfort of God the comfort of Jesus, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, not with all the answers we could ever want, but with their real presence in our lives. So this holiday season, take time to reflect on God who has great power. He has the only power and authority to save us and emancipate us from sin. He is the only power that can bring relief in our loneliness, our struggles, and our burdens that we bear. We look Thinking back to that first story of the ship and the stormy sea, will you look for the pilot, that is God, and will you see the smile of God? Will you see his confidence that he is undeterred no matter what seems to go wrong? Make this season really about knowing who God is. Let us pray. Mighty God, help us to truly put our trust in your strength. Lord, many of us are tired, burdened, and weighed down with life. Help us to look to you for our comfort. Empower us to proclaim excellently to the people in our lives your majesty and your mercy so that they would clearly hear the good news of Jesus and know that he is mighty and good and has recompense for them pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.